Welcome back to Bad on Paper podcast. I'm Grace Atwood. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today we have a really fun listener question and answer session. You guys had a lot of questions and we're going to try and answer them all. Well, not all of them. I, I did cut them down. Yeah, I saw the list. I cut a few too. There wouldn't have been enough time. But I'm excited about this. I think uh, we're going to try to do a quarterly listener Q&A episode. I started listening to a new podcast, a new to me podcast that had a big archive earlier in the spring. And I I thought that the Q&A episodes were such a great way to catch up because there were topical episodes that were maybe like not relevant anymore or I didn't really care about. But I like burned through other Q&A episodes to kind of get caught up. So I thought it would be fun to adapt that for us and to uh, give people like a fun grab bag of, of different topics in one episode. Yeah. So before we get into it, let's do some highs and lows. Becca, what's your high? My high was vacation. We went away for my birthday, which was September 1st, and we went to Olbash in Mexico, which is a little island that's north of Cancun. And Grace and I had been there before in 2019 and went back with Grace and my friend Rachel, who is my rom-com pod's uh, work wife. Rachel and I were there for five nights. It was so restorative. I needed it so badly. Like I didn't really go on any vacations last year. I was, you know, really wary about going anywhere with COVID or getting on a plane until I was vaccinated. So I hadn't been to the beach in almost two years and it's been a busy couple years too. So it was so nice to unplug and to like really give myself time off. Cause you know, sometimes when you're at home, even though if I say like, I'm taking a staycation or I'm not going to do work, like I'm still so connected to all my devices. So it was amazing. It was so restorative. I feel, I feel new. Good. Good. Yeah. Olbash is so pretty. I'm still missing those mezcal margaritas. Oh my God. And I got to, I got to live one of my lifelong like, bucket list dreams. I saw flamingos in the wild. And, um, you know, I've obviously seen flamingos in zoos or I think in Disney World, maybe. Um, But I saw wild flamingos and I am still not over it. I'm freaking out. That's so nice. I I did not go on the flamingo part of this. I walked with them to the to the sandbar where they started walking. We walked for like 40 minutes and then there was another 45 minutes and you guys walked in hip deep water. Well, for how long? it, It was definitely like two miles or so. It took a long time. It was a workout. I think that at certain times of the day, based on the tide, there's a sandbar. And last time we went, Kate and I did it and we walked on the sandbar and it was really lovely and super easy. Rachel and I timed it completely terribly. And um, yeah, we we walked in anywhere from like knee to chest deep water to get to this other part of the island. But it was... I mean, it was all worth it. When we it was flamingos. chest deep. I thought it was hip deep. Oh my God. I'm, I'm so glad I turned not, around. Not the whole time. Just like a couple points. Okay. I mean, we, we just had stuff like you had your phones and stuff. So were you like holding your phone above water? Yeah. We like, both had like tote bags and we just were like holding it up. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's my big high. And then my other kind of high, I'm really nervous about this. We have our first showmance tv pitch later today oh my gosh that's amazing i'm really excited i've never done it before so i'm a little nervous i'm as prepared as i can be um i i hope that they they love the idea and i love the show as much as we do oh i hope so they'd be stupid not to 
Thank you. That's a great vote of confidence. You have my vote. If if it was if I was in charge of the TV series, I would I would hire you. Thanks. What's your high? My high is just last night. Um, my sister and I had a date, and we have not had a date night in like at least a year. We went to River Cafe last summer. I want to say like it was when restaurants had just started opening up, and we ate outside and things. But you know, she has a three year old and. We're both like introverts. So, you know, we see each other a couple times a week when we have family dinners and stuff. It was so nice just to have a night, just the two of us. We sat at the bar of this. There's a new sushi bar here in Charleston. 167 Raw that makes those lobster rolls that we love so much. Oh, yeah. They opened a sushi bar. And so we went there, just like got a ton of sushi, like just talked about work and life and business stuff and work. And I said work twice. We both work a lot and talk about work a lot. It was just so nice. Like I just, you know, we have a lot of family time, but like getting one-on-one time with her was so special. And like we keep being like, we're going to do this every month. And we never do. But I really hope that we can be better at that. That's great. And I mean, the funny part was we met up at five and we ate so much. And it was, I want to say it was like 6.15 when we finished dinner. And we were like, well, what do we do now? So then we went and we got a glass of wine, but she was driving us and she's like, I can't drink anymore. I think we need to go home. So when all is said and done, it was seven o'clock, but we both had work to do. So we were both a little bit relieved. Becca also goes to bed super early. She goes to bed really early. She goes to bed at like 9 or 9.30 most nights. We're very similar, but she's, I'm more of a night person. She's more of a morning person. (laughs) She also has a three-year-old or almost three-year-old. So they keep, they tend to wake you up quite early. Um, That's great. What about on, what about on the low side? (laughs) The low side. So I moved into this apartment and they were like, oh, well, there's two floors in the building that have higher ceilings than the rest. So I had just been told this 13 foot ceiling thing so many times. And I was like, I have 13 foot ceilings. I have 13 foot ceilings. I do not have 13 foot ceilings. I have 11 foot ceilings, which is still very high. I'm not complaining about the height of the ceilings. (laughs) What I am complaining about is that the ceiling is still pretty high for me to measure individually with a tape measure. So I never bothered doing it when I was doing my curtains. I was just like, oh, 13 minus eight inches. And that's what we need for curtains. And so my curtains are all two feet too long. And now I have to get them hemmed. But my my amazing mother um, is going to hem them for me while I'm in LA this weekend. Oh, that's nice. So I'm really, really lucky. I just, I am going to pay her or like there's a dress from anthropology that I have that she really likes. I think I'm going to buy her that to like say thank you. Cause I feel really bad. I was going to like pay someone, but I don't have like a, a tailor here yet. And I don't know like, and tailoring it's, it's just a, a quick hem, but it, each panel is cause this is for, a, um, the window is like eight and a half feet wide. So it's big. So it's, it's a big project, <laughs> but I was so excited about my curtains. It was like all I could think about, like, I just think it's going to make the room so much warmer and cozier. And then <laughs> we're hanging them like I had a handyman like install the rod and he's like um I think your curtains are a little too long so I was embarrassed and it was just like such a stupid thing on my part like I should have measured it's just you know you have a measurement drilled into your head I was like yeah that's 13 feet 
it's not. Uh-oh. So, well, Denise to the rescue. It's not a real low. Like, I mean, I'll have new curtains in a week or two once my mom hems them. Um, but it's kind of a comedic low. So the lesson is always measure and then double measure. Yeah, like that's the that's the advice that is like common knowledge. This is on yeah. you. No, I, I'm completely saying it's 100% my fault. Yeah. But I'm like, besides being bummed, I don't have curtains. I'm also like, you're an idiot. <laughs> How about you? On my side, I am having a lot of trouble getting my brain back into productivity mode. Like I unplugged so hard that now I'm like, I can't even find the plug. Um, so I've just, I do that. I don't like to unplug because once I do, I can't plug back. In. Yeah, I've been wildly unproductive this week. And I think it's also partially this meeting, this pitch meeting. Do you know that meme I've seen that has like the screenshot of the calendar and it's like the whole morning is like, stressing about meeting and then it's like meeting and then the whole afternoon is like recovering from meeting and I feel like I've taken that to a new level and I'm like it's my whole week where I'm just like two in my head that I can't sit down and like be productive outside of like email stuff or anything with a deadline I just like I haven't been writing I I haven't gone above and beyond so yeah I'm having trouble plugging back in but what an exciting meeting I would be the same way I wouldn't have slept last night if I were you I, well, I didn't sleep, but I didn't sleep for a different reason because I stayed up till two in the morning reading a book. Oh, what book? It is the sequel to a book that I started on vacation. I'll tell you about it in the oh, book yeah, section. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know about this. Okay. So should we get into some of these listener questions? Yes, let's do it. So our first question, I'm curious if you have an answer to this. What's one piece or detail in your apartment that you love and then something you regret? I do have an answer. Yeah. So the thing I love is my uh, bookshelves. So the the big shelf unit in my living room. And it was something that was custom made and um, it was pricey. I mean, it wasn't insane, but I want to say it was around $3,000, which is a lot of money, especially in a rental. And because it's built to the space, I was really concerned about would I be able to take this if I leave? It's modular. So I, I, could take it and reassemble it if there was space in in another apartment. Um, And I really hemmed and hawed over it. And ultimately, like, I'm so glad I did it. It makes me so happy. It's my favorite thing in my apartment. And I always have said, like, ever since I was a kid, like, the ultimate home goal I had was having a full wall of bookshelves. So they make me so happy. Like, it's living living a life goal to have it in my apartment, even if you know, ultimately it wasn't like the best use of money because this is a rental. Yeah. But so over time, you've you, like you're going to be there for a while, probably. And totally, you've been there I've, a while. I've been there for two years. And I kind of said to myself when I decorated this apartment, if I'm here for three years, I think the investment will will make sense in kind of all of the things that I did that didn't totally make sense for a rental, like switching lighting and things like that. So, yeah, and I, I'm not planning to to leave after three years either. So, you know, I'll continue to amortize. So that's the thing I love. The thing I regret is my couch. So I chose a couch based on aesthetics and the couch wasn't super expensive. It's from article. I want to say it was like $1,400. So it's not like it broke the bank, but I definitely chose it based on the way that it looked like it's very um, like mid-century and it's raised and it's like kind of a a light profile couch because I didn't want something that was like heavy feeling. Um, It's not that comfortable. And I, I, I was like, oh, that's fine. Um, 
you know, it's comfortable enough. And I was like, no, I, I spend so much time on my couch. It's where I read. It's where I relax. Sometimes it's where I work. So I'm like, I want a really comfortable couch. So I ordered a new couch in April and it's super backordered. So I think it's coming in October, but the couch is something that I chose based purely on aesthetics. And I do like the way that it looks, but ultimately like it wasn't a functional decision. You need a comfy couch. Yeah. What about you? What's your one detail or piece that you love and something you regret? I mean, so for this apartment, everything, because I've had so many apartments now. I'm like almost 40. I'm basically 40 when this drops. So I, I love it all. I love my couch. My couch. Have you sat? You weren't here for my couch yet. Mm-mm, you still had your old couch. Yeah, it's got a captain's chair and it's so comfy. It basically feels like a bed. So that and I, I mean, I love my coffee table. I love my bed. I, I'm so happy with my apartment. So I felt like this question, like if I had something I hated, that would be kind of bad because I've only been there five months. So I was going to answer it for my old apartment. My old apartment was... I went a little too overboard on the color. I think in hindsight, I would have done the green checkerboard floors or the green banana leaf curtains, but you know, maybe not both. It was kind of a lot. And the thing that I loved similar to what you did was I invested in and building out a custom closet behind those green curtains. And I was, I only, you know, I was in that apartment for four years. I think I had the closet for like two of those. And it was similar to you. It's like hard to do those investment things when it's a rental and you're not going to maybe have it forever. Like I think that my closet was less money. It was like a little over a thousand dollars, but I'm so glad I did it because it made the space so much better. Like before that I had like three garment racks that were like falling over and it was just kind of a mess. So I would say that that was definitely it. Like I don't mind I think that furniture can really transition well from apartment to apartment. So I feel like investing in furniture is is wise, but it kind of hurt writing that check for the closet, knowing that I wasn't going to be there forever. But I'm still like I'm still really glad I did it because it just made my life so much easier and gave me storage space in an apartment that had very little storage space. Yeah. All right. Next cue. What book release this fall or winter are you most excited about? Oh, I think that mine is going to be the book I read on vacation. It's the new Jodie Picoult and it's called Wish You Were Here. I read it and I loved it. And it's one of my favorite books I've read all year. Uh, I don't want to give away too much, but it's set during COVID. And this woman escapes to the Galapagos Islands, like right as everything is shutting down. And she's stuck there and it kind of forces her to reevaluate everything. Um, I don't know what else is coming out. I feel like I haven't been as up on like the what's like anticipated books list thing. So that one was exciting for me. Okay. I have a I have a few. I have a few that are in very different genres categories. So the real answer, the thing that I'm most excited about, I think it comes out in January or February, is Sarah J. Moss has a book coming out. She wrote A Court of Thorns and Roses and Throne of Glass, and she has a new series called uh, Crescent City, and the first book came out, I want to say, in 2020, and so the second book in the series is coming out. So I'm very excited for that, but I realize that that's not everyone's bag. I'm you love ex- her, though. I love her. I'm also really excited. I I think it's actually already out. I didn't realize that, but I walked by McNally Jackson yesterday and I saw it in the window. I'm excited for the new Sally Rooney book, which oh, I have that. came out. Beautiful World? 
this week. Yeah. yeah. I love Sally Rooney. I've loved both of her books and I'm I'm I haven't really heard much about this one yet other than seeing how excited people are for it and th- the cover is beautiful. But I'm really excited for that. And then I'm also excited. It's not actually a new book, but I'll tell you why I'm listing it here. So Tia Williams, who wrote Seven Days in June, has a book that she wrote a few years ago called The Perfect Find. And I think what happened is that after the success of Seven Days in June, the book got like she got so popular that the book sold out and they have to reprint it. So Oh, good for her. Yeah, good for her. So she has this book called The Perfect Find and I had to pre-order it back in July because it wasn't available until September. So it's it's becoming available again even though it's a book from 2016 um sometime this month. So I have it on pre-order and I'm excited to get it. Um and it's about a fashion editor and I don't remember the rest, but I know that it's also being adapted and I think Gabrielle Union is set to star in it. So, oh, amazing. Yeah, I'm really excited about that one. So, those are mine. What are things in your life that you do just for you to stay sane, happy, and healthy? I mean, I think the biggest one is walking. And it's so funny that this is something that I so recently realized the power of. You know, I would, I've lived in a city my entire adult life. So, I would, you know, I'm used to walking. I go on walks, but like the sanity walk is a new phenomenon for me, specifically during COVID. And I mean, I try to go on a walk every day if the weather is permitting. Um, but going on a walk is like the number one thing that I feel like keeps me all of those things sane, happy, and healthy. So yeah, I think that's my answer. I mean, to some degree, also working out is something that I do to stay sane, happy, and healthy. Like I feel like I always used to say I haven't been to a soul cycle class in person in since pre the pre-COVID times, but I always say that soul cycle is expensive for an exercise class, but cheap for therapy. So um like I feel like there's such mental benefits to doing doing that too. Maybe a little less so at home. Um, but sometimes when I have a good bike ride like that definitely is something just for me that it like feels really good. What about you? I'm definitely with you on the walks and it's been a bummer because it's been way too hot to walk in Charleston. So I've been like walking on the treadmill a lot, which is fine, but like it doesn't accomplish the same thing. The other thing for me is baths. I just love my baths and then making sure that I have at least a couple nights on the calendar where I'm not doing anything or seeing anyone that I haven't been as good at that because I've just had a lot of travel and like a lot of stuff. Like in September, I feel like I have like 15 friends with birthdays, including my own. I haven't been as good as at that. But when I get back from LA, I have three weeks where I'm home in New York and not going anywhere. And I'm going to get back to like, just, it's just like, I take my, I literally take my calendar and I just like gray it out. And it's like grace night so that no one can like tell me like, cause I also get a little, I'm like an introvert who gets FOMO <laughs> and I'll be like, if my friends are out, I want to go out too. But I also then am miserable because I'm just tired and I've had too much people time. I got a press mailing for my birthday and it, it came with like a little printed card or whatever. And um, it said that September is the most popular birthday month. I didn't know that. It's so weird. All of my friends are Libras and Virgos. Like it, literally the week of my birthday, I was out with four friends the other night and all of us are turning or have a birthday between the 22nd and the 30th. Interesting. Isn't that weird? Well, I mean, I guess it makes sense because nine months before is kind of the dead of winter. So good time yeah. to stand and get frisky and make a baby. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very funny. I feel like September and May are the months that most of my friends are born. 
Interesting. Got some Leo friends too, like Jackie and Natalie. Yeah. But um, yeah. So another person wanted to know, they said they're wanting to leave a job that they hate, but it's a three-person team and they're really close with their coworkers. That is so hard. Really? I don't think it is that hard. I think you just have to do it. I mean, honestly, this sounds bad, but the way I would liken this was for me, it was like leaving New York, like, and having to tell you and Alex and John, like, I was so nervous and like, I like almost didn't go because I didn't want to leave my friends. So I know that a job and a city are very different things, but I think it's really hard. I don't know what my advice is. I don't think it's that hard. You gotta just do it. I don't think they owe anything to the job as long as they're, you know, respectful and, you know, give a proper notice. You know, they don't want to leave their team as their friends. They don't want to leave them in the lurch. But, you know, like, what's to say that you can't be just as good friends with these people outside of work? You know, you're not going to see them eight hours a day. But, you know, theoretically, you're not chatting all day long either because you're doing work. And especially during COVID times, I don't know if this person is in an office or not. Um, most of my friends are working from home. So, you know, like you can still text with them throughout the day. You can still be just as good of friends. Like I would say you and I probably, and I mean, part of this is the podcast, but we probably became better friends after we worked together. And anytime I've worked somewhere where I had like a work best friend or like somebody I was really close with, like leaving that job is not made me not be friends with them. No, it doesn't. It's just hard. It's, I think, I mean, I remember leaving Bobble Bar and I had gone down to part-time. Jackie had left. You left full-time before I left. And it made a difference in me being able to leave when you were gone. Interesting. Like, I think I'm someone who, like, stays probably too long. (laughs) I have to wait for everyone else to go. And then I'm like, okay, I can go now. This one, I don't know. It just doesn't strike me hard. The person said it's a job they hate. So if you hate it. Like, yeah, cut the cord. And I didn't I didn't hate Bobble Bar. Like I was I was getting to a point where I was overwhelmed and unhappy. But I think it's, if you really hate it, like you got to just go. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about your answer to this question. At what age did you start feeling financially secure? I think probably age 32 or 33. That was when my blog started to like make real money. And I like, I think it would have been sooner, but I went through a breakup and I had to move and I had to buy all new furniture and like put up money for like first, last and security. So I kind of took everything I had saved. Like at that point, it, you know, I only had like 10 or $15,000 in savings and that kind of just like wiped that out. And then I was like starting fresh again. And I'd say probably like I'd say 32 or 33. Yeah, I'd say I can't remember specifically, but I think it was 31 or 32 when it was the first time that I started making more than $100,000 a year, which yeah is a, sounds like a lot, but in New York City, rent is so expensive. And, you know, historically, I've worked for um, startups, and so I was always slightly underpaid in, in my jobs for my title and experience. So that was the first time that I, I wasn't like the percentage of how much I was spending on rent versus my income actually made sense. Yes. And so I, I would say that was kind of the first the first time. And if you're curious about salary and numbers, we have an episode that we did in July of 2019 called Always Ask for More Money, and we go through our entire salary history. So if you have more questions about that, go listen to that episode. Yes. I feel like this is more for you than for me. First time facial, what should I get and where do I start? 
So this depends so much on your your skin type and um, like what you're looking for and your age kind of like if you were like my age and getting your first facial, I'd be like, oh, make sure you get like microdermabrasion and this and that. Like maybe that person would want um, some like LED therapy to like help tighten up their jawline. Like there's so many different things. So my best advice is to go to a good place that like is going to know what they're doing. My favorite place in New York City to get a facial is Christine Chin. And I would go to see Coco. I would probably go there two or three times a year because they give you such a deep clean and your skin is smooth and glowy for like weeks afterwards. But I will tell you the first couple of days after, like they go in on the ex- extractions, which is painful, but like truly worth it. Like I have good skin, but my skin is like radiant and smooth for weeks after when I go her- to her, but they will customize it and tell you kind of what you need. Cause I just don't think you should ever go in blind and like try and prescribe yourself. I think you need to go somewhere good that can kind of give you a consultation. Another good place to go is Globar, which is it's inexpensive and they're, they're good at telling you what you need to. If you just like give them your concerns, like maybe you're worried about acne or clogged pores. Maybe you're looking for firmness or radiance. Um, it just depends so much. I just think it's really important to go to a good place. On my blog, I have like a New York City guide under travel and there's a pamper section of that and that has all my favorite facials. But I think my two big recommendations in New York would be Christine Chin or Globar. And I know that that's not really answering the question, but I can't really give someone the advice without knowing their age, concerns, all of that. And even then, I think that a facialist is going to be better at that than I would be. I have nothing to add. I don't I don't generally get facials. My sister just got her first facial at, there's a place in Charleston called Rollins Studio. I think I'm going to go um, the week before my birthday if they have availability. I have to add that to my list of things to do. I've never seen her so excited. And then she got home and she's like, I need a skincare routine. She's like, I didn't realize how good this stuff is. And I was like, all right, here's lactic acid. Here's retinol. Here are these three things. Just, she has perfect skin. So I found it really funny that she like, thinks that she looks so much better now. And I think she looked good all along, but she's like hooked on the skincare bandwagon now, which is really cute. That's cute. When you shower, do you blow dry your hair or air dry it? I always try to air dry my hair if I have enough time. The only time I blow dry my hair is if I'm time crunched and I need to get ready right away. So even if I heat style my hair, I generally try to air dry it. What about you? If I'm wearing it straight, I need to blow it out and then flat iron it. Just I have so much hair and it's like very coarse and thick, but I generally have been just wearing it wavy. Like I just tend to put in a ton of leave-in conditioner and like maybe a little mousse and just let it air dry. I've just kind of realized that I don't care enough about my hair to have it look perfect all the time, especially in this humidity. But I do want to get another keratin treatment so that I can just air dry it and have it be like smooth and shiny. So this next one is just for you. Somebody asked for Grace, tell us about your 40th birthday party or things you're excited for in your 40s. Well, that's cute. Um, My 40th birthday, I don't want to say too much because you're going and I want there to be some surprises. Um, It's basically my wedding. Um, (laughs) I'm really going all out and I'm excited, but also nervous because it is the expenses are adding up. But um, I am having a seated dinner for 
I think 33 of my closest friends and family. Um, it's a roaring 20s theme. I um, think, you know, we're back in the 20s and hopefully, like, I don't know, I p- planned this like before Delta was getting bad, but I still have hope. And um, there's a fun after party. I don't, I'm not going to say where it is, but we have a VIP area at one of my favorite bars to go dancing afterwards. And things I'm excited for in my 40s, I don't know, just like more of the same. I don't think that your 40s are really any different from your 30s. Like I'm not like, this is when I'm going to have babies, like, because I don't want kids. I'm like, I'd like to own property at some point. I'd like to, you know, when I'm 50, feel more settled and, and like maybe married. And I don't know. I don't, I think it's just like more of the same. It sounds boring, but there's no like big monumental thing besides the party, which will be really fun. Well, I just bought two dresses today to try. So we'll see. I have bought so many dresses. Like it's shameful, but I think I have mine figured out. Okay. Well, before we do more questions, let's take a quick ad break. So by now, you've definitely heard me talking about how much I love pros, speaking of hair routines. So pros is the most personalized hair care, and I've been using their shampoo and conditioner for over a year now, and I am fully a convert. And if you haven't heard me talk about them yet, let me tell you about how great my customized pros products are. So here's how it works. You take an in-depth quiz on their website and It asks you about everything from your hair type and your styling routine, but then also some less expected questions like about your workout routine, your diet, and your zip code so they can account for environmental factors. So when I took the quiz originally, I told them that I wanted to have less frizz when I air dried, to go longer between washes, and just to improve my overall hair health. And they have seriously delivered. My hair just all around looks better. And I know that it's working because whenever I post Instagram stories, I get so many compliments on how shiny and healthy my hair looks. And trust me, I am not a naturally good hair person that that's like a given. It's definitely the pros. And also, we've got to talk about the scent. So I get the Corsica scent and it smells so good. Like it is my favorite scent. Even a year later, I'm not over it. And the longer you use pros, the better it gets because they have a really cool review and refine feature. So when you reorder, they ask you how they did relative to your goals and they make tweaks. And recently in my last bottle, I had a great customer service experience with them. So I think I went a little overboard on my review and refine answers and I got new bottles and my formula had been tweaked too much and I I didn't love it. And so I emailed them and I didn't tell them that I work with them as an advertiser. I just emailed them as a regular customer. I paid for my order and they insisted on replacing my bottles for free. And they were so, so helpful. So seriously, if you're feeling on the fence and, you know, you're worried about, will I be stuck with it? You won't be. If you're not 100% positive that Pros is the best hair care you've ever had, they'll take the products back. No questions asked. Pros is the healthy hair care regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash B-O-P. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash B-O-P for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off your order. All right, Grace, some more questions. Okay, how to use an offer letter to get a better comp title at the current job. I don't have, I want to hear your advice for this because I feel like you often have the better career advice things. And I think this sounds a little shady. I don't think this is shady at all. I think that this is completely something you can do. However, 
I think that you have to be prepared that if they say no, you have to be willing to take the other job because I think I you kind of look like an idiot if they tell you no and then you stay. And that sets the precedent that they can take advantage of you. So I think you can only do this if you are prepared to go take this other offer. So I know sometimes people will go get another offer just to play off their current employer, which is fine. But if it doesn't go your way, you got to you got to be ready to leave. So I think what you do is you just you set a meeting with your uh, direct manager. I guess if it's a larger company, it might be the, your HR rep instead of your direct manager. And I would just be completely honest. I would say, you know, I've been thinking about moving to another company and I, I interviewed with XYZ if you feel comfortable telling them who it is. And uh, here's what they offered me. I've really enjoyed my tenure here. I would love to continue to work here, but this is an offer that financially is much better. Is there anything that you can do to meet this offer? And don't expect them to answer on the spot. I would practice what you're going to say um, the night before so that you feel really comfortable saying it. You're not an asshole. You're not a, you're not greedy. You're not, I, I feel like a lot of times people have all of these hangups about asking for more money that come down to they're, they're not deserving of it. You just, you know, this is a business transaction. Even if they are not able to meet it, nobody is going to hate you. So, you know, just make sure you say it confidently and be very direct about it and see what they say. And, you know, there might be other factors in terms of budgeting, in terms of like title levels that are different at your current company versus another company or, you know, qualifications to have a certain title. So they might not say yes. There might be other factors that even if they love you and you're a great star employee, they can't say yes to you. So I think you have to be prepared to go to the other job if if they say no. I think that's really great advice. I didn't mean shady, by the way. I meant manipulative. But I, I think that the way that you phrase that sounds perfect. You just have to be prepared to go if if they say well go take it i don't think it's manipulative i mean listen you're doing a job for a company for money if your market value is higher somewhere else and your current company won't pay you that like i think it's reasonable to to have that discussion i don't think it's manipulative at all yeah i guess yeah i don't know i feel like sometimes people feel too attached to their employers in a way that they feel like they should feel bad asking for what they deserve or what the market has set their value at. And it's like, no, this is a business transaction. I was like that as an employee. So that's probably why. And it's probably why I do much better working for myself. I don't know. Here's a fun one. Unlimited budget. Where would you go on vacation? I have two. I would go to Japan and like stay somewhere really amazing and just eat like incredible omakase sushi dinners like every night. The other thing I really want to do is go on the Orient Express. Like I want to go with a significant other on the Orient Express and go all over Europe. I just think it, like traveling by train sounds so romantic and I just think it would be such a cool like life experience. Cool. What about you? I would, I have two as well. So I would, one, I would definitely go on the Southeast Asia trip that I was planning to take in 2018 and I had to cancel. The one I, I would took. do it up so much bigger and more 
expensive and bougie. So I would definitely do that whole trip. You'd be flying like, like private plane from like island to island. It would be great. It would be great. I'd also be staying in like the most expensive hotel in every city. And then the other thing that I've always really wanted to do, and I think this is in my head because of our friend Nina. So um, one of our friends has taken a job working at a hotel in the Maldives, and it just looks so incredible. And all those Maldives hotels are so expensive. And it's, you know, it's far, the flights are expensive. I would love to go on like a beach vacation in the Maldives to like one of those like incredible hotels. That looks really, really pretty. I know. Yeah. I feel like I would need to do like, I don't know. I don't think I'd want to go to the beach for like more than three or four days, but I think there's probably other things you can do nearby. I would. I could go there for a month and be happy (laughs) as long as I had enough books. Okay. The next question is, oh, would you go to a place like Olbash alone? I wouldn't. I, so I have been on one solo trip. Um, It was to Portugal. I went to Lisbon and Porto. I I liked it. I didn't, you know, I think it's nice to have the confidence that I can travel alone. So if there were ever a trip that came up that I wanted to go on and nobody wanted to go with me, I would have the confidence that I could do it myself. But generally, I prefer to travel with people. Like even just thinking of the flamingos, for instance, like part of that experience was being able to look at somebody else and say, oh my God, can you believe this? Versus like, otherwise I would just have like, the memory and a shitty camera roll full of terrible photos. So I do like experience something with people. I would say if I was going to go on a solo trip, I would prefer to go to a big city where there's a lot of exploring to do, you know, tons of restaurants. Like I'm doing something as opposed to sitting. I think I would be bored there by myself. That This isn't to say that it's unsafe in any way for you to go alone. I, I think it's totally fine, but I don't, I don't think I would want to be there alone. I think I would be bored and like, I think you could very easily like go a whole day with like out talking to anyone other than like ordering food from a waiter. I would totally go there alone, but I don't really like a beach vacation for more than a few nights. I went to Tulum alone after a breakup, like I, where I just needed a week to like cry and like read books. And I had an amazing time and, but I can go a whole day without talking to anyone um, and enjoy that. So I think that you'd be totally fine if you wanted to go there. I'm kind of with Becca. I just would prefer to go somewhere with like a little more action. Like I think my favorite trip that I took alone, I remember being in Copenhagen and like going to all these different museums and then going to really fun restaurants and sitting and eating at the bar with my book, but like chatting with the bartender and figuring out what I was going to do the next day. I feel like Olbash is maybe a little sleepy for that, but I think that if that's what you want, like when I went to Tulum for a week by myself, that was what I wanted. I brought like 10 books. I read them all and it was very healing. And I personally would probably not go back to Tulum. So I think Olbash would be a good alternative to that. Very different views on that. I think it just depends on your personality. No, I agree. It's safety. I think we both can agree that safety wise, you're going to be fine. It's you might be bored. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a Virgo-y question that I'm very into. How do y'all organize your to-do lists for all your different projects? I just started grad school and need some tips. Um, I'm pretty straightforward. I have a a written to-do list every single day, like a page out of a new notebook. And then I have 
my um, Google Calendar is pretty organized. It's not organized to the same level that you, yours is. Like you have a very intense Google Calendar. And then I have an Excel spreadsheet, which is like my Bible. It's just my Stripe Excel spreadsheet where I have every single thing. It looks like a calendar, but then it's much more detailed. So every day, blog content, Instagram story content, Instagram content, you know, sponsored posts are put in a different color so that I ideally don't have too many in a week. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes things get kind of jammed together. But I would say those three things, Google Docs, Google Calendar, and I I like to write things down and cross things off. Me too. I like a paper to-do list. I would say I kind of have three systems that I use. So the first is my paper to-do list. I have two to-do lists at all times. The first to-do list is things I have to get done today or immediately. Sometimes there'll be a day when I have too much. And so I'll break it down to like, what are the first things that I have to do? So that's my list that I just go through throughout the day and cross things off as I go. And then I usually have a second to-do list, which are things that I have to do that I don't want to forget, but are not really as time sensitive. So right now, like on that list, I have I have to schedule a clothing donation pickup. Like I have to return a dress that I bought. So it's like things that I have to do. And some of them are more personal. Some of them are professional, um, but they're not time sensitive. So it's maybe something I want to do in the next couple of weeks. I just don't want to forget. So I have it written down. So that's my paper to-do list. Um, I also find that if there's any kind of recurring tasks that you have to do, so for instance, this could be something like for me writing, I have a Monday through Friday block on my calendar for two hours so that I always have time in my schedule to do this thing because it's an ongoing project that can, you know, requires time and focus to make sure that I don't like max out my calendar unknowingly and then don't have time for it. So if there's anything you have to do like that, I like to put calendar blocks on that are just set as recurring. Um, And I also do that for like, for instance, for some of my clients, like every Monday I have to do weekly reporting. So I have a, a recurring invite for that so that it's always on my calendar and it's always something that I have time scheduled for. And then, you know, with bigger projects like are rom-com pods, projects that have many, many moving pieces and, you know, happen over six to eight months, like over a long period of time. I use Asana. So Asana is a project management software and you can make Gantt charts in it. If you don't know what a Gantt chart is, Google it. I'm, I'm not going to be able to explain it well. It's easier to see than to hear about. Um, and so create you know, task flow charts basically for the length of the project. And what I like about Asana is that you can sync it with your Google Calendar. So it also shows at the very top of your Google Calendar, like what project tasks are for that day. So that's how I do it. I am obviously a very Virgo-y Virgo and take organization to the extreme, but I think that also helps me to focus. And I think it also relieves a lot of mental stress because like everything has a place, like it is all written down and accounted for somewhere. I will step off my soapbox now. What are your favorite newsletters at the moment? Oh, good question. So my favorite newsletters, some of them are a little niche. So I um, subscribed to this screenwriting newsletter called Room Snacks, which I'm really into. And um, that's really interesting as I think about starting to 
potentially work in in the TV world. So I've been learning a lot from that. And some of them, the things are really silly. Like they'll do Q and A's and it's like, what do you wear in a writer's room? And some of them are much more tactical in terms of like, how do you structure a pilot script? So I've been really enjoying that. I also subscribe to a book writing newsletter called Agents and Books. And I have a paid subscription to that. And I really like that one too. Some of them are Q&A. Some of them are like more topic oriented. And I find myself learning so much from that. It's more about the business side of writing than the actual like practice of writing. Um, So I enjoy that. I also love our friends, Claire and Erica, who used to be the founders of Of A Kind, which is now shuttered. And Of A Kind had an incredible newsletter. They have continued the newsletter. It's called A Thing or Two. I always read that one when it lands in my inbox. Me too. I love Anne Friedman's weekly newsletter um, on Fridays. I always read that one. She always has a great links roundup of like more, a, a little more serious reads. Alicia Ramos, who's the founder of Girls Night In. I mean, I love Girls Night In, but then when she came on the podcast, she also recommended a newsletter called Internet Brunch. And that's where I find all my like fun links of like weird internet stuff that I love. I think those would be mine. What are yours? Well, I would echo Girls Night In and Friedman. And there was one other one that you said and it went out my brain. A thing or two. A thing or two. Yeah. I never miss all three of those. More recently, I've signed up for a few newer ones. There is a restaurant owner down here in Charleston. His name is Brooks Wrights. And he has a newsletter called A Small and Simple Thing. And it's always just like recipes and like food tips and like interesting kitchen and pantry items that I wouldn't have thought to buy. And a lot of it's like stuff you can just buy on Amazon, like spruce up your cooking game. That's been a good one. I've been subscribing to that for about six months and I pretty much always open it. Jess Nell Graves just brought back The Love List, which is one of the first blogs I ever read, like probably 12 years ago. And it's in an email newsletter format. And I love it. She's just very thoughtful. She always finds designers or like cool small businesses and just interesting things that maybe I wouldn't have known about. On the news front, I pretty much I don't have cable anymore and I have had to really limit my news consumption just because I was getting serious anxiety. My mom turned me on to Letters from an American um, and it's written by a history professor and it, her name is Heather. I, I, I can we can put it in the show notes, but she's a history professor and it just breaks down current events in a really accessible way, which is something I like because I can open the newsletter on my own time and sit and read it. And then, you know, Google things that I don't know about or look things up. But that's been a good way for, I find, to stay informed. Oh, and then the last one is James Clear. And that's kind of like business life, like organization kind of um, hacks, I would say. And he just always, there's just always some like nugget of wisdom in there that I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't think about it that way. And I just enjoy him. Uh, I loved this next question. What are some recent almost book club picks? I have a few answers for this one. I have to go to my books page and like look at that. So two that I can think of that were almost book club picks. So Seven Days in June is a book that I really loved and wanted us to consider. And then Grace said she wouldn't read any more romances. So we didn't do that. I still highly recommend it. That's always a little bit of a rub because I always prefer romances and Grace always prefers mysteries. And I think we both have a limited bandwidth for the other person's preferred genre. So, you know, I'll read a few mysteries, but if Grace was like, here's 10 mysteries I'd like you to read, I would be like, go fuck yourself. 
Yeah, but I would never do that. I I pick them sparingly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I totally get it. I'm not being I'm not being rude about it. Um, and then for September, I almost thought about advocating for this book called The People We Keep by Alison Larkin that I read recently. And it is one of the best books that I've read so far this year. It was so touching and so wonderful and like just so well done. I ordered that because of you. It, it's fantastic. Ultimately, one thing that we try to think about when we pick book club picks is um, what we'll be able to talk about. And so we, ult- I ultimately felt like The Magic of Found Objects, which is what we picked, would be a better discussion book because there was there were better things that related to our life and, and more inroads for conversation versus I always think about we did a book club very early on for the book Circe by Madeline Miller. And it was a book that we both loved. And we Worst had, book club ever. We had nothing to talk about about this book. We were like, I really loved this. Did you love this? Yeah, I loved this. And like, we couldn't say cool. any of the characters' names. We couldn't pronounce any of their names. But it was like, it was a book that we really enjoyed, but then we had nothing to say about it because we didn't know enough about mythology to have an educated conversation about it. And like, I, it was it was a bad book club. So, you know, sometimes... There are books that we love, but we're just like, oh, these aren't good conversation books. So I think that's the case with the people we keep. We're like, the conversation would have been like, did you cry? Yeah, I cried too. I <laughs> cried a lot. Like, <laughs> did you feel bad for her? Yeah, I felt really bad for her. Like, there just wasn't, there wasn't a ton, in my opinion, to make a meaty conversation. Yeah. I think we almost considered the push, which would have been one of my like murders, murdery books for the year. Uh, did you end up reading it? I didn't. I told you that we could do it, but then you said that you, you thought Ace of Spades would be better. I did because the discuss similar to what we talked about, the discussion would be better. And the push has so many triggers. I just was like, we're going to offend people with this book. I don't want to go down that path. So we did not do that book. I still think everyone should read it if you don't get triggered by... <laughs> pretty much anything um we I had thought that it could have been fun to do Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid but I think that we picked people we meet on vacation instead because it was there was more to talk about um I'm looking through my book list there was another one too I really wanted Olive by Emma Gannon to be better than I ended up feeling about it so that it could be a book club pick because you know, the the book was about a woman who doesn't want to have children. And I thought conversation wise, there could be something really interesting about that. But then ultimately, I was like, I didn't think the book was good enough that I wanted to tell thousands yeah. of people that they should read it. Yeah, I DNF'd it. I bought it because on your rec and then I just I was on vacation with my family and I had a whole pile of books. and I was like, I don't want to read this. Yeah. Another one that I think I don't think you were ever considering it as a book club pick. <laughs> But the view is exhausting. I had heard so much about it and it was so hyped up and I bought it and <laughs> I didn't end up enjoying it. But I had thought that it would be a good book club pick because of just the way that it was described to me. I did enjoy it, but I don't think it would be a good book club pick. <laughs> yeah, so those are some. Here's another question I feel very passionately about. So somebody said, how do you fly first class with miles, credit card, etc.? I just wanted to know, like, does it come across that we're always in first class? Because even if I'm in first class, I'm not posting about it. I think this might have been on me um, because the other day I was flying when I was flying back from Cancun, I did a Q&A and I just like took a picture of 
it was like partially out the window. It was of all my beverages. And you can tell. I never will show it if I am because I feel self-conscious and people will like be like, unrelatable. Oh, I didn't. I don't care. I don't pay for it. So I'm like. No, I didn't either. But um, I don't know. I think. I'm happy (laughs) to answer this question because I wish I, I didn't know how this worked either until a few years ago. And so hopefully will help somebody understand this. So the way that you fly first class is that you get status on an airline. And so in 2019, when Grace and I were touring for the podcast, and 2019 was probably the year I traveled more than any other year in my life. And um, we were like, oh, we have to like, we have to figure this out. We have to consolidate all of our travel to one airline because otherwise, like, we're losing out. So that was the that was the year that we both committed to Delta. So you have to pick an airline. I mean, it's in some ways it sucks. I wouldn't have wanted to do this in my mid twenties because I would just fly whatever whatever airline was the cheapest for the route. So sometimes you know Delta will not be the cheapest, but I will still pick it as long as it's not like five hundred dollars more than the other option. So you have to always fly with the same airline. Both of us also have the Delta credit card. So what that means is that if you spend $25,000 on your credit card in a year, you get a waiver so you don't have to spend the MQDs. So, okay, I'm going to mansplain Delta, Delta's Sky Read Miles. Read the points guy. Yeah. Read the points guy. So it's like- Go to the points guy. Delta's program is like you need to fly a certain amount of miles and then you need to spend a certain amount of money. If you have the credit card, you don't need to spend the amount of money. So you can just get by on miles and like miles roll over. There's bonuses on your credit card for like spending a certain amount. And like where I am in my life, spending $25,000 in a year on my credit card is feasible for me. If it's not for you, then like don't bother getting the credit card. So yeah, so I have have gold status. Grace is platinum right now. And basically 24 to, well, I guess anywhere from right before the flight all the way to like 72 hours before the flight, depending on the status of everyone on the plane, you'll get upgraded if you have among the highest status. Does that make sense? Yes, that absolutely makes sense. So so it's free. You you don't pay for it. Um, you just, you have to have a certain status. I also, because of the credit card and stuff, I have a ton of miles because I don't use the miles to book flights because I have to buy, I have to fly in order to keep getting more miles. So I will often use my miles to upgrade. I usually a week before my flight will just look at it and see if I'll check the seating chart in first class and see if um, it's full. And I probably have less of a chance of getting upgraded. And in that case, I'll use my miles and upgrade myself. Oh, I'm too cheap for that. Oh, what do you do with your miles then? I'm saving them to go on like a really decadent baller first class trip that I don't pay for. Okay. The other thing I'm right really struggling with right now is um, I made platinum on Delta. I was I was getting pretty close to diamond. I feel like if I continued to fly to LA every month using Delta, I would make it. But I've realized that flying direct on JetBlue is better than flying first class on Delta with a layover in Atlanta or Detroit. And it's killing me. But the, that that direct flight to, to L.A. from Charleston on JetBlue is such a treat. Things you appreciate when you move out of New York. Because in New York, you can fly direct everywhere. Yeah. But there's also certain routes that are really hard to fly first class on. Like you would have to have like diamond status in order to get upgraded to first class on New York to LA. Like there's just too many people with status flying. Yeah. And like also, you know, I think a lot of uh, 
routes that are like through hubs like New York to Atlanta, New York to Dallas, like some popular routes are like harder to get upgraded on because there's just more people. And usually people who fly for business have a lot of status. So, you know, when you're with when you're on a common business travel route versus like New York to Cancun (laughs) is not a business route. Yeah. You have less likelihood if you're flying a business route. Yeah. So I cut this for time and you added it back. So you must have a really good answer. What are your favorite consistent authors aside from the greatest of all time, Ellen Hildebrand? I just like this question because there's so many. Um, For me, it's Christina Lauren. It's Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekinen. It's Liv Constantine. Those are two of my like, those are some of my like, um, not, and Taylor Jenkins Reid. I just thought Mm -hmm. it would be a good question to answer. Yeah, I I'm, I agree on Taylor Jenkins Reid and Christina Lauren. I'll read anything that those people write. I'm also very committed to Sarah J. Moss. I was going to add her get, for you. Yeah. Which I get is not for everyone <laughs> if you don't like very intense fantasy series. Who else do I feel that I'll like always buy their book sight unseen? Um, there's definitely more. I can't think of any. I like lost my shit the other day because Sarah Pekinen DM'd me and it was like, what's your mailing address? Did our publicist reach out about our new book? And I was like, I didn't know you had a new book. And here's my mailing address. <laughs> that was like, very exciting to me. Yeah, I bet. Sarah Pekinen and Greer Hendricks write some of my favorite, like read it in a day thrillers. What is the genre of Becca's book? So the book that I'm writing is it's a Christmas book. The A story is a friendship story and the B story, there is a, there is a love B story. I think everyone expects that I'm writing a rom-com, but it is not a true rom-com. So yeah, I'm not ready to share more, but I can tell you that. Exciting. So let's take one more quick ad break and then we have some longer meaty questions that I'm excited to answer. So this episode might be a little long, but I think if you're into us, you'll, it'll be worth it. So let's take one more quick ad break. As life gets back to normal, we've seen so many people we know contemplating big life changes, experiencing newfound social anxiety, or just struggling with how they're supposed to get back to normal or at least normal-ish. So you've been hearing us talk about BetterHelp for the past few months, and maybe you're wondering, is BetterHelp right for me? First of all, we think BetterHelp is an awesome service and that it's right for pretty much anyone. But specifically, if you're looking to pinpoint or address anything that interferes with your happiness or prevents you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors who may be able to help. They make it really, really easy too. So here's how it works. You're going to fill out a simple online questionnaire and that's going to assess your needs. In the questionnaire, they ask you kind of everything from your age, relationship status, past experiences with therapy, and what you're looking to address. And then from there, they're going to match you with your own licensed professional therapist and they do this in under 24 hours. And then you can choose how you want to interact with them based on how you like to communicate. So you can message them anytime, no scheduling needed, or you can have phone or video sessions. It's really about whatever works best for you. And something that's really cool is that they have counselors who are specialized in all kinds of specific issues, everything from stress, anxiety, relationships, parenting, addictions, eating, sleeping, trauma, family conflict, LGBT matters, self-esteem, and more. All told, they have over 20,000 licensed professional therapists. And what's great is that they're committed to facilitating great matches. So if your first therapist isn't a fit, they make it free and easy to switch if you need to. And anything you share is always confidential. Best of all, it's more affordable than traditional online counseling and financial aid is available. 
we want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash bad on paper. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash bad on paper. So we have a few meteor questions that people emailed to us. We have three that we're going to tackle. And this first one is probably the one that I'm most excited to answer. I got this email and I've been stewing on it all week. So this one's about imposter syndrome. And somebody said, I'm in law school and I just got a big law summer associate position in DC for 2022. I go to an out-of-state school ranked around the 115s, and I will be with other summer associates who go to Yale, NYU, Stanford, et cetera. I feel wholly unqualified and unprepared. I've never experienced such a lack of confidence before where I'm worried that it will bleed into my work. Any advice to get over this? I feel this. Um, when I was working at Procter & Gamble, I kind of slid in through the cracks. Like I had a relationship and was able to get this job. And then the company was acquired by P&G. And I would go to these events where I was the only person in the room that didn't have an MBA. I, I just felt like so out of place and like I didn't belong or deserve to be there. Um, at one point, my boss like had to sit me down and, and, and just give me a pep talk and say, you got this job just like all of these other people and you deserve to be here just as much as these other people. So my pep talk to you is that you deserve this and you got this job because of your own skill set and, and what have you. And I mean, good for you for getting this job not coming from one of those prestigious backgrounds. It really probably speaks volumes about your intelligence and how you came across during your interviews. I feel like you have, that's a nicer answer. I'm not mad at this person because I, I think imposter syndrome is so stupid. And I, I don't think anyone who is experiencing it is stupid. Like you're not stupid for feeling this way, but it's like, uh, it just makes me so angry. And it makes me so angry how many questions about imposter syndrome we get because it means that so many people are experiencing it. Oh, it, it just, it pisses me off because, I mean, first of all, it's a very, traditionally, it's a very female problem. Like there's, uh, I'm sure somebody's going to write to us and tell us all about their sensitive husband who's amazing and has terrible imposter syndrome. Um, I, I'm sure there are exceptions, but on the whole, you know, the the statistic is that women will only apply to a job when they meet not over 90% of the criteria versus men will apply to a job when they uh, meet 60% of the criteria. And I feel like imposter syndrome is something that affects way more women than men. Also, if you're experiencing imposter syndrome and you are not white, I feel like a lot of uh, what people term imposter syndrome is actually institutionalized racism. So, yeah, I uh, like imposter syndrome bothers me. Um, and I I feel like our audience, I, I want to say, are probably really smart people. I'm not sitting here being like, oh, these idiots don't deserve anything. Like they should feel imposter syndrome. So it just makes me angry at the circumstances. I don't know. OK, here's what I would say. First of all, somebody who is being paid, and because this is a law firm, they're probably being paid a lot of money, looked through all of your application materials, interviewed you, et cetera, and decided that you deserve to be here. So take that at face value. Somebody who is being paid to decide decided you belong you belong here, so you belong there. And just take that. Because I've, I've kind of three things to say about this. So first of all, what's the upside of imposter syndrome? There is no upside. Like if you continue to believe this and you aren't able to flip the narrative that imposter syndrome is stupid in your head and like get rid of this, like you potentially are going to self-sabotage 
you're going to experience all this stress and like the physical manifestations of stress, like there is no benefit to imposter syndrome. So like getting over it is to your benefit. It sounds like you know that from that, from this question too. The second thing, and this is kind of how I'm thinking about my TV meeting later today, where I don't, I don't feel imposter syndrome. Like I've never done this before. Like it's wild that somebody wants to give me a TV show, but I like don't feel undeserving of it. Think of yourself as a character in a book or a TV show that's getting away with something. You have infiltrated the highest levels of law, and now you get to go and you get to mine all of the information and contacts and relationships they have and look at these idiots who let you in the door. That's how I feel about the TV meeting I have this afternoon. I'm like, oh, we got one over on these bozos. They're not bozos, but I'm a bozo. But um, like... Haha, you're smarter than them because if you're not deserving of this opportunity, you slipped through the cracks and like mine it for all it's worth. And then if you are a petty person and that doesn't work for you, find the chat. There is somebody at this, I guarantee you, there is somebody at this job who is less deserving than you. Uh, It's probably a guy whose uncle owns the law firm or like golfs with one of the partners. And like he's taking credit for everything that everyone does. And he's mansplaining things. And he's a total piece of trash who's like late and like doesn't work hard at all. Find that person. And whenever you're like, I don't deserve to be here, be like, well, Chad deserves to be here even less than I do. And like always compare yourself that you're one rung up from that person, because I think there always typically is that person unless you're that person, in which case, if Chad's listening, you have some thinking to do. But yeah, it it makes me so sad and angry when these smart, capable women who have been given these really cool opportunities that they deserve then don't feel worthy of them. I don't know that I answered that eloquently, but just the volume of imposter syndrome questions that we get, I'm like, somebody decided you you belong here. You belong here by virtue of the fact that you have been offered this opportunity. I agree with all of that. So our next question is about side hustles. And this is something I can relate to as my blog was my side hustle for the first five years of it. But this person wrote, I'm an accounting manager in a big Midwest city. Last summer, I started a side hustle that involves e-commerce and I love it. However, it is a lot of work. I work my business during little pockets during the day. For example, lunch, five minutes of downtime here and there. And after my toddler goes to bed gosh, this person is working a full-time job running an Mm e-commerce site and has a toddler. She wrote, my goal is to eventually leave my full-time job to pursue this side hustle full-time. The problem is this. I am putting in some decent time to grow my sales. However, I am reaching a threshold where I can't grow anymore without me working more hours. My husband wants me to be making more than what I'm making right now in the side hustle before we have serious discussions about me quitting. But I'm not sure I'll be able to grow this much as I'm getting down to the max hours I can work between my full-time job and my side hustle and still feel like a functioning human. I can relate to this. I know this is something all entrepreneurs must figure out, but I'm struggling. What are your thoughts on managing growth in the side hustle, yet still maintaining some semblance of balance in my life and not working myself to the bone? Ooh, I want to hear your answer to this because I know this is a situation you've been in or at least a similar situation. Obviously, you don't have children. Yeah. So I don't have children, but I got to a point where I was working like probably 70 hours at my day job and then another 30 on my blog. Like I didn't have a life. I didn't go on dates. I 
barely saw my friends. It was very, very exhausting. And I, I really only left Bolivar because I got to such a point of exhaustion that I felt like I was doing everything really poorly, both my blog and my day job. And I had to pick something. My advice to this person is to get to quit and get a part-time job if you can and focus the rest of your time on your side hustle. And I think that if you are this passionate and you really believe that you can grow, you can always go back to that day job if it doesn't work out. But I think you have to pursue this and otherwise you're going to end up way too burnt out. Just speaking from personal experience. Interesting. I was going to say something different. I do like the idea of quitting and putting a time cap on it, maybe six months or a year where it's like I'm giving myself this much time to get up to profitability. But if I can't, then I'm going to go back to my job. I do think that's a smart way to think about it. Um, I was going to say, so first of all, I wonder, and I'm not quite sure of the specifics of this business or what the piece is that's so time is time consuming, but I wonder if you can either hire somebody to help you, um, a part-time employee or find a partner. So I don't know why I'm thinking that this is like an Etsy craft business. Maybe it's not, but, um, if like making something is the hard part, can you hire other people to make it? And then, you know, in your business plan, um, you could overtake that once you were able to go full time and you would be able to eliminate that expense of whatever you're paying that person by the hour. So that is one thing I would consider. Um, and, or if you can find a partner who you're willing to split the business with, who can then put in as much time as you are and kind of double the, um, the capacity Um, The other, this is such an introvert and extrovert way of answering the question. (laughs) Um, The other way I would say is because I get what your husband is saying, and it does sound like you have a child to think about, and I don't know what your saving situation is, but you're in accounting. So I, I assume that you have a good brain for numbers is, can you create a business projection of what things would need to look like in order for you to get to break even? And then can you sit down with somebody external to your business and have them pick that apart. Because I think there's the tendency to overestimate uh, something that you're excited about. And so if you can get somebody who's impartial to like really go through this with you, the fine tooth comb and pick it apart, I think that might give you the confidence and might give another vote of confidence for your husband to be like, okay, this makes sense. It's just a matter of time and bandwidth. And that we do feel like there is the demand there. The other thing I would say is if the issue is capacity in terms of product because you're making something, I wonder if you could create like a wait list or something. Not all of your wait list sales will convert because, you know, people, uh, it's a lower barrier. You don't have to put out a credit card to sign up for a wait list, but it might help you to get a sense for like what the demand could look like if you were able to produce more product. And this is, again, the assumption that this is like you're limited by making something versus it might be a different, a totally different business model. Yeah, I think that's really great advice, too. I don't know. This is so tough because I feel like whenever you're trying to turn your side hustle into a main hustle, there's that point of like overwork where you're like, you just have to get through yeah. it. But obviously, I've never with done a that child. with having a child as well, which is a whole added a whole third job and like added layer of pressure. Yeah. When it's just you, you can just be like, well, I'm just not going to function for six months. But when you have a child, you have to function for them. So our last long question is about saying no. So somebody said, I'm a florist. This is my dream, like twilight career. This sounds really cool already. And 
find myself losing my creative spark and catering my work more towards a client's desires slash visions. I have the freedom in my schedule to not book clients that I don't feel like fit my style, but I end up getting too deep into the proposal process and I don't know how to get out when things start to take a turn towards the over-the-top bridal bouquets and greenery everywhere. When that happens, I easily slip into people-pleasing mode. As creatives that work with brands and clients, how do you communicate with prospective partners that you have to stay true to you, especially if you've already taken a few steps in the inquiry process? This is so tricky because... I think that a lot of like florals comes down to is personal taste. So in a way, it feels like you have to, sorry, in a way it feels like you kind of have to meet their, meet, meet their expectations or they'll be unhappy. Like for what I tend to say to brands, if our visions aren't lining up is I say, you know, I know my audience and I know that they're going to convert better and buy your product if we talk about it this way versus the way that you want to talk about it. So I feel like the two are a little bit different. Well, I think a difference here is, and I, I don't know exactly how this process works because I've never planned a wedding, but it sounds like this is before a contract is signed and before a firm agreement is made. So this is purely in like the negotiation process where maybe there's like concept and ideas, but there's not like a firm commitment. Yeah. I'm wondering if she's wants to figure out how to like not work with this person or if she wants to continue going forward with her vision. I would say if you've made a firm commitment, if there's paperwork and like you have taken on the project and then the vision changes and somebody wants something that isn't your vision, maybe you do have to please them because the customer is always right and you're in a service business. So if you actually take on the project, I think you have to deliver. However, up until that point, I would say you should feel free to walk away, even if you're at the very last step. I have to imagine, and I don't know if this is true, but I I think that usually on the other side of things, they would probably also be quoting multiple vendors. So even though to you, it feels like you've gone deep into this process, if they're smart, they're quoting with multiple people. So you're, you're probably not the only one. So you're not leaving them as high and dry as you might feel. But I think you can just be really honest with them and be like, you know what, I don't think I'm the right person to work on this. I don't think that creatively I'm going to be the best fit for this. And ultimately, I think if you pin it on yourself rather than on them, I don't think there'll be any hurt feelings because, you know, a, a bride especially doesn't want to work with somebody who isn't going to be able to execute on their vision. So I think they would be glad that you like flagged that. Not to say that you can't execute on their vision. I mean, it's definitely more that you don't want to, but tell them you can't or you're not the right person. I don't see any problem with, with just saying no. I think that maybe that's something I'm getting better at. Not, I'm not good at no as a complete sentence, but just like saying no to things. Like I think you, I I always think that people are going to be more upset than they actually are. Yeah. I think the big lesson here is to say no before it gets too far along. Yeah. And if you haven't signed paperwork with them, like, I think you're totally within your rights to say, hey, I don't think this is a good fit. Yeah. I agree. So those are our questions. We have a little bit of end matter. Well, we actually have a lot of bit of reading that we've done. Yes. Um, should we get into some some end matter? Yeah. So I don't think either of us have an Instagram obsession this week, but what is your real obsession? My real obsession is the Hotel Lobby Miami Candle. Oh, it's so nice. It's so nice. So um, Hotel Lobby Candle is a company founded by an influencer uh, named Lindsay Silverman. And I don't know her in real life. Grace does. She's just somebody I follow. And I really admire the business she's building. And I did a really kooky thing earlier this year. And I bought 
the first candle that they made purely on hype on the internet. Like it's a weird, stupid thing to buy a candle that you've never smelled before. Um, but I was just so curious and I loved the first one. And I kind of was like, this is going to be my home signature scent. Like I really, really like the candle. And she offered to send me the new one. And I said, yes, because I like her and I wanted to support her. But in my head, I was like, I don't think I'm going to like this as much. Grace. I thought it was going to be like suntan lotion. I don't know what I thought it was going to be. It is so good. I'm really bad at describing scent notes. So maybe their website is a better resource, but it smells like fancy and expensive and sexy. Oh my God. I'm so into it. Yeah, I agree. I, well, so I did the same thing as you and bought it sight unseen. Lindsay has great taste and I knew that any candle she made, I would like, which ended up being the truth. I don't know. This is like, it's like a little bit woodsy and spicy, but then it has like maybe a little bit of jasmine in there. I don't know. It just, it smells so good. So good. What about you? What's your obsession? Mine is a TV show. Um, Only Murders in the Building on Hulu. It is so funny, but it's also just like, about murder. So I love it. Steve Martin's in it. Martin Short. I love them both so much. I think the younger generation, I saw something funny. Um, do you follow Mandy on Instagram? No. She's just at Mandy and she was, she got to go to the premiere and she was laughing because all the kids are like all, all the younger influencers at the event were more excited to meet Selena Gomez, whereas she was more excited to meet Steve Martin and Martin Short. And I was like, yes, absolutely. Um, I just, it's, I, I love what a weird mix that is of people. Like, that's just so intriguing to me. So the premise is that they all live in the same building and they're all kind of a little bit unfriendly, except Martin Short's character. They all listen to the same podcast, which is hosted by Tina Fey. They're like obsessed with this true crime podcast. A murder happens in their own building and they decide to start their own true crime podcast and try and solve the murder. That's really funny. I think I would like this. I think so, too. It's great. Okay, I'll watch it this weekend. What about books? We both did some damage on the book side. Yeah, I'll go through mine quickly. First is In Polite Company by Gervais Hagerty. I talked about this a little bit last week, but this one is set in Charleston. It's about this girl who's part of like a old, wealthy Charleston family. And it's I don't want to say it's coming of age because she's in her late in her like mid 20s. She's engaged and um, the guy obviously isn't the right fit. But it's 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 very cute. And I love the depiction of Charleston. The next one is Wish You Were Here by Jodi Picoult, which I talked about a little bit earlier, but it's not out till November 30th. And I highly recommend pre-ordering it because it's just it's wonderful. The next one was 56 Days by Katherine Ryan Howard. And that was a thriller set in Ireland also during COVID. I read all these books that were set during COVID and I don't know how I feel about that. But this one, I read it when we were in Olbosch. It was just like a very quick, fun, suspenseful mystery. I would give it like a B or a B plus. It wasn't like the best I've read, but it definitely kept my attention while I was like laying by the pool. And then right now I'm reading two heavier books. I'm reading Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead. And I got to say, I'm not as drawn into this as I was with his other books, which is bumming me out. I'm about 100 pages in and I'm going to keep reading because honestly, everything Colson Whitehead writes is brilliant. He's, you know, gotten Pulitzer Awards for, I think, all of his books. He's 
an incredible writer, but it's just a little bit slower. I felt really validated because I was, I put it on my story and Tracy from the stacks was like, I just can't get into it. And I was like, okay, I feel a little bit better because I'm struggling. And then the other one, which I'm still reading, well, probably will still be reading for the next month is Helter Skelter, which is written by the, um, prosecuting attorney of the Charles Manson murders. And it's absolutely fascinating. It's so long though. So I read a little bit probably every day or every other day. Um, and I'm only like two, I think a little over 200 pages into it, but it's so interesting. What about you? Um, okay. So I did a lot of light vacation reading. So while we were on Olbash, the first thing I read was Winter in Paradise by Ellen Hildebrand, which is about a woman in her 50s who lives in Iowa City and finds out that her husband has died in a plane crash in St. John and that he has been living a double life and he has like a property there that she knew nothing about. I read this book. I loved it. I was so mad at myself that I didn't think to buy the second two books and bring them with me because I wanted to try it. Like, what if I didn't like it? So then I was immediately mad because I didn't have more. I came back from- I think the lesson here is you're always going to like the Ellen Hildebrand yes. book and you need to buy the whole set. Yes. So when I got back on, uh, so we got back Sunday night and on Monday, I couldn't even wait to order the books. I went to Barnes and Noble to buy them so that I can get them immediately. So I also read the second one and I'm on the third one now. And then the next series that I read was uh, called The Inheritance Games by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. And she wrote Little White Lies, which was a bad on paper book club pick in who? Oh, that name sounded familiar. I was like, I think I know who that is. At at some point. I can't remember when we read that. Um, And she writes YA mysteries. And this one is literally, if you like escape rooms, you will like this. So, and and YA books. Um, It's about this girl who is like kind of living hand to mouth. Her mom has died and she's like living in her car basically. And she gets named in the will of a billionaire in Texas who she's never met before and inherits his billions of dollars. But the stipulation is that she has to live in the house with his family for a year. And so the mystery is like, why did he pick her to inherit? And then also there's like all kinds of drama with his grandsons and like the rest of his family. And then the house is like, there's all these secret passageways and like they're trying to solve a mystery where there's like all these like, um, the grandfather loved like puzzle games. So like there's all these clues they're trying to follow. It was so good. That was the book, the second book in the series, the second and last book in the series came out this week. And that's the book that I stayed up till two in the morning reading. So good. Then I read The Simple Wild by K.A. Tucker. And this is a kind of like contemporary romance series that is really, really popular. And I hadn't read it yet. So I thought I would I would read it. I hate read this book. I didn't love it, but I was so into it. So I don't know where that leaves me recommendation wise. It's about this blogger. I told Grace she would hate this so much. It's about a blogger. She's like this really uptight city bitch. And she goes to Alaska because her estranged father is dying. And so she goes to Alaska and obviously like fish out of water. She's like so bougie. And Alaska is like the wilderness. It's a love story between her and this like brush pilot, bush pilot. I don't know. I don't know which it is. Anyway, uh, it was so compulsively readable, but it was, I, I didn't like her. I didn't like him. I don't know. But aren't I you reading the other the, two? Aren't you reading the next books in the series now? 
I bought them. Yeah. Isn't that what you were up till 2 a.m. reading last night? No, no, no. I was up reading the sequel to the Inheritance Games. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So I, but I did buy these and I will read the other two. Okay. Because now I'm too into it. Um, And then the Inheritance Games sounds good. I, I think you might like it. And then the last book that I read was The Intimacy Experiment by Rosie Danan. And she wrote The Roommate. And this is the second book in that series. It, it totally could be a standalone. I liked The Roommate, but I didn't love it. Like, I feel like for me, it was a book that got too hyped. And then I, it, it felt a little bit short for me. I liked The Intimacy Experiment way better. So this one is Naomi, who is the she, I don't want to give spoilers for the first book, but she appears in the first book and it's a love story between her and a rabbi, which is a very interesting premise that I had never seen done before. So I ended up really liking this one. So those are my books. I have read six books in the month of September so far, and it's currently September 9th. So that's what vacation will do for you. You're doing great. And of course, if none of those wet your whistle, we have our September book club pick uh, that we're getting ready to discuss at the end of the month. And we're reading The Magic of Found Objects by Maddie Dawson. The book is about a woman in her 30s in New York City who gets into a marriage pact with her best friend. They decide to get married to each other because they're sick of the dating scene and they want to settle down and have kids. And then as soon as she agrees to that, she uh, meets somebody who could be a real romantic prospect. So it's partially a contemporary romance, but then it's also interwoven with um, her origin story of like her entire life growing up and especially her relationship with her parents who are divorced. And her mom is like a very free spirited, like hippie type woman. And then her dad is a very straight laced, like grumpy New England farmer. And so... Um, telling the story of kind of how she came to be and then also kind of how her two halves of her family feel about this decision that she's made to get married, not for love. So that is what we've got for you. We also have a Facebook group if you want to come talk about books. We're on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood and my blog is thestripe.com. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman and I also... Uh, co-write, produce, and direct a fiction podcast series called Rom-Com Pods that you can also check out wherever you're listening to this. All right. Bye, everyone. Have a happy Wednesday or whatever day it is that you're listening to this. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye.